321 I Relaunch, the podcast discussing strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of I Relaunch, and your host today. And I'm very pleased today to be speaking with Shelly Zalas, the CEO of the Female Quotient and founder of the Girls Lounge. Shelly has had an incredible career and great success as an entrepreneur. She was the founder, CEO, and as she calls it, chief troublemaker of OTX, an online research business that she sold for $80 million in 2010. Shelly and I met in person at the recent Massachusetts Conference for Women when she was moderating a thousand-person breakout session on how to build and harness a meaningful network. And after numerous people raved to me about how I had to meet Shelly, so I was so excited to finally do that. And it was just wonderful to have a conversation, and she's so gracious uh, to be with us today. And I'm looking forward to an excellent discussion. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to be here, and who would not want to be on a podcast with you? So bring it on. (laughs) Great. Um, Okay, so can you, Shelly, just take us back uh, to earlier in your career when you were in a corporate role or corporate roles, and how did that early work experience lead you to start OTX? And also, can you tell us a little bit more about OTX and how you grew it? And finally, can you tell us what OTX stands for? Uh, Absolutely. So I was in uh, traditional market research pretty much my whole career. So I would say over 35 years. Just don't, don't tell anybody. And um, it, was, it was great. You know, we would test advertising that was running on television. And then one day I met this man on an airplane that was in the infomercial business. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. You have 30 minutes to tell a story instead of 30 seconds. So I brought the whole business of direct response, call to action to the advertising world and started um, creating every infomercial for every slicer, dicer, hair extender um, individual that you could imagine, but also learning how to tell a story for brands um, and, and working on that format. And it was quite amazing because, you know, call to action, a 1-800 number to call to buy something that you couldn't buy on a shelf. And for the traditional brands, Fortune 500 companies, to be able to tell a deeper, more meaningful story of how to use a product in more ways than what you would expect was pretty remarkable. And so I really mastered um, direct response, um, and I was definitely the queen of infomercials for branded companies. And then one day the internet popped up and I said, you know, so crazy, why do we spend six months and $500,000 to create an infomercial? Let's create messaging on the internet. It was a lot less expensive um, and it did the same thing. The problem was, you know, creating advertising inside um, of other people's websites. You know, we were creating 500 page um, websites for tied laundry detergent until one day we decided to move that advertising into other people's websites. We don't create programs to advertise in, so why do we need to create our own websites? And that's when we started migrating the ad format to split screen and and interstitial and skyscraper and created a whole format for testing advertising um, 
in the digital world. And then one day I thought, what if we migrated research from central location and telephone to the internet? And it was in a day and age where only wealthy old men were online with broadband connections. So it was hardly a representative population. But I really believed that it would become the new norm one day. Um, and th that really was how OTX was born. It was called Online Testing Exchange. That's what it stands for. It was really simple. You know, we're going to move online. It was a testing mechanism, and it was an exchange of exchanging feedback from consumer with brand on, you know, what they felt. And so I left the corporate world in 2000 to migrate research from um, offline to online. Wow, that's an incredible story, and it just shows you were amazingly nimble and ahead of your time and really visionary in terms of seeing what was ahead, seeing how these new technologies were going to emerge and how that was going to affect these various advertising and marketing platforms. Really an incredible story. Uh, so you, I just want to interject when you had told me earlier that you were known as chief troublemaker. Why do you call yourself that? Well, I mean, as Catherine Hepburn says, if you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. And so, I mean, you know, the truth is if I did follow the path of the norm and the expectation, I would not have um, deviated, if you will. Um, to try something new, because as everyone says, it's scary. It's very scary to try something that no one's done before. It's quite scary to build something where no one is, is there to participate, not only from the consumers, because no one was online, but also trying to get the best researchers to join me in the unknown. And, you know, failure does, you, you do need to fail to succeed. And so, you know, what does that take? It takes breaking the rules that make no sense and, and creating the new ones and getting others to follow and, and, and to join that movement. So I did break quite a few rules, not only in pioneering, you know, online research. So when you take those shitty surveys on the Internet, sorry, not sorry, I was the mother of that invention, um, but I had to convince people you know, that it could be one day, not to look at what it wasn't, but to look at what it could be and get people to believe in the possibilities. Um, and and that, that takes, you know, breaking some rules as well as breaking some rules in, in the culture of traditional companies to create the next new thing which needed to be liberated with people that were brave, you know, fearless, but also were rooted in, in traditional research. You can't build the future if you don't know where you've been in the past. Right. You know, there's this certain fearless quality to what you're describing at, at all different levels. And I'm just really intrigued by how you grew this company and how you grew OTX. And also, what was your life like during the time that the company was going through what must have been explosive growth for you to then be able to sell it, um, you know, I guess 10 years later for $80 million? Uh, you know, it was a 24-7, you know, proposition, but I truly was passionate about what I was doing. I truly believed in what I was doing. And the truth is, if I didn't believe in myself, no one else would have believed in me. And so I remember when I decided to leave the corporate world to pioneer online research, 
I needed a million dollars. And I remember my husband and my father um, said that they would each give me half a million dollars um, to start my dream. And I, I was so appreciative of that, but I knew that if I took their money, I would not experiment enough. I would be too afraid and act with caution to take chances and, and take risk. And so I thankfully, you know, turned down their offer and went to AC Nielsen and said, I have this crazy idea to pioneer online research and I need a million dollars. And I needed the million dollars because when I built the first prototype of online research, I knew if I just went to Nielsen and told them the idea, they would have thought I was crazy. Um, and so I actually built in my basement the first prototype and I built it with a 21-year-old website developer. His name was Trevor Kaufman. And I said to him, I don't have any money to pay you, but if I sell this company or get someone interested, I will give you a million dollars. And so when I went to Nielsen, I asked for a million dollars, not for myself or for anyone else, but to thank this young person for believing in me, taking a chance on me, and working around the clock to help me you know, imagine a dream, but bring it to reality. And that was quite some time ago. So thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Daddy. And thank you, my husband, Phil. Wow, that's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, let me j just jump ahead a little bit. And can you talk about the time period after you sold OTX? Did you have to just like catch up on it because you, you had such extreme exhaustion for going, going, going? Did you um, take some time? And then what eventually led you to starting the Girls' Lounge and the Female Quotient? Oh, well, first of all, I say if you work and you don't enjoy it, it's called stress. Um, but if you work and you love it, it's called passion. And so my entire career has been, um, the foundation has been passion, purpose and passion um, for driving change and making um, the new, the new norm. And I remember when I first was pioneering online research and only wealthy old men were online, hardly a representative population. And my history and my experience was in packaged good research, you know, testing uh, from womb to tomb, you know, products that don't change very much. Um, and so I decided to go into the movie business and test movie trailers. Um, a, I, I knew nothing about the movie business, and B, I've never tested two and a half minute spots. I always tested 30 second spots, um, and I never tested 40 pieces of content within 48 hours. But I thought if I could really deliver online research in the movie business, which was the hardest business to be in, I could certainly test for any industry in any category. And so I went to the um, head of research at Warner Brothers and I said, my name is Shelly Zalis. I come from the packaged good business. I know nothing about the movie business. I had this crazy idea to pioneer online research and I don't really know what I'm doing, but let's do it together. And I said, and by the way, are you completely satisfied with how you do market research today? There was only one company in the movie business, it was called NRG, that was thriving and really dominated the industry. And my client said to me, number one, 
no one is ever completely satisfied. So yes, I want to experiment. And number two, the fact that you told me you have no idea what you're doing and that we are going to learn together in full transparency and share the good, bad, and the ugly, I'm all in. And, and that was the beginning of you know why now today um, all research for the most part, 90%, 95% of research is done online. And I remember everyone looked at what it wasn't. Why won't this work? People online don't tell the truth. They lie, is what people used to say. And I said, but what percentage of people don't tell the truth in central location and on the telephone? Do you really mm -hmm. know that someone that tells you their age is, is, is that? I said, why are we looking for all the things that could be wrong with change and transformation and innovation versus letting it live and, and fly and be free and find the new opportunities? And so, you know, my career was, yes, it was exhausting, but it was so exhilarating at the same time to be trying new things and then to see that it was getting so sticky and that everyone was, was coming on board. And, you know, the stories of how we brought something new to an industry that really did not want to learn new tricks was also quite remarkable. So I sold... I sold that company. Um, we were, OTX was the fastest growing research company in nine short years, generating over 60 million in profitable revenue. I had about 250 employees um, in six cities, uh, obviously five in the US and one in London, which we you know, felt really defined the rest of the world. And it was a remarkable um, story. And I had phenomenal partners along the way, Strauss Zelnick, Bob Pittman. I incubated at iFilm with Kevin Wendell and Skip Paul. Um, and so, you know, my story is, is nothing shy of incredible, mainly because of all the incredible people that joined me on the journey of transformation and, and bravery. So I thank you um, for all of you who believed and continue to believe and support and raise your hand um, to participate in, in next step change. So that's phenomenal. And then I sold my company to Ipsos, uh, the third largest research company in the world. I went from a company of 60 million in revenue and 250 employees in six cities to a company that does $2.6 billion in revenue, operating in 83 countries with 16,000 employees. So it was quite an evolution <laughs> and, and change uh, for me. And of course, I was part of the Ipsos board. And, you know, for me, the refreshing and exciting and scary thing, you know, if you're not afraid, it means you're not trying something new. Life gets quite boring if you don't have that little, little uh, ounce of fear. You always have to have a little fear. Fear excites me. But it was all about how do we now bring online research and make it the new norm in a traditional research company and have that secret sauce and that wow factor inside. Um, and so I stayed at Ipsos for five years running global innovation in 83 countries and really learning about people in other cultures and what drives change in each marketplace. And yeah, it was, it was really wonderful and I met um, tremendous people 
while I was at Ipsos. And DDA Trousseau, the CEO of Ipsos, is a role model for me in, in so many ways. Um, but I got to the point um, after five years where I felt that it was time for me to give back with generosity what I wish I had rising the ranks. I was the only female CEO on the top 25 my entire career in market research. And I knew that I thought differently. I knew that I used emotion in the boardroom. I knew that I um, was equal to my male um, partners, but that I did think differently than they did. And I started something called The Girls' Lounge while I was at Ipsos. And it really happened by accident. I did not mean to create a movement um, called The Girls' Lounge, but I wanted to migrate research into technology. I had read an article um, seven years ago that the CTO, the chief technology officer, would be the new best friend of the CRO, the chief research officer, and how technology would enable all kinds of new opportunities for research, which, of course, I experienced in OTX. And so I wanted to go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, but I heard there was over 150,000 people with less than 5% being women, and it was quite intimidating. You know, when I walk into a research conference, I know everyone, but going into a technology conference knowing no one was, you know, A, not going to be fun, and B, you know, slightly intimidating. So I, inv I invited a few girlfriends um, that I knew from business and said, let's go together. And if you know other women, invite them as well so no woman is left out. And 24 hours later, 50 women showed up to walk the floor. That's it. That's great. You know, in my early, I'm a financial analyst by trade. And at one point, I was covering the heavy equipment industry. And I would go in, I'd be the only female in the room covering that industry. So the, uh, what you're describing here is, is just really incredible. But it, it was. Two remarkable things happened. You know, a woman alone has power. Collectively, we have impact. We walked that floor and every guy's head turned like, where the heck did all you women come from? And it was it was a power the pack moment. You know, it really was power the pack. We are so much better together. And the second thing that happened was just a confidence moment. We coined the phrase, confidence is beautiful. When you're surrounded by people just like you, there is no more um, exhilarating feeling than knowing that you all share some of the same challenges, can talk about some of the issues with your authentic voice in truth, you're not trying to conform to the rules that make no sense, but we can transform those rules by, by working together. And, and that's when the Girls' Lounge was born. It was born in that moment. And, you know, day one, we were 50. Day two, we were probably 100. And by day three, we had the penthouse suite at the Four Seasons where more deals were done in the Girls' Lounge where we were sharing our tools and our technology and, and, and really creating these relationships that were priceless, truthfully. And that was uh, seven years ago. And today, the Girls' Lounge has over 17,000 corporate women that we've connected globally, um, working together to not only find our voice, own our strength, but truly to collaborate and activate the changes that we want to see in the workplace today. 
Well, an amazing story. I'm I'm speaking with Shelly Zalas, the CEO of the Female Quotient and the founder of the Girls Lounge, and you're listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast discussing strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. So I want to pull all that Shelly's talking about back to our core audience, which are people who are returning to work after taking a career break, mostly women, and learn from these themes of not only fearlessness, but um, being afraid is part of what is exciting to, to Shelly. That's a piece of the equation. The chutzpah that, that uh, she, it, you have exhibited at these different key moments in terms of, you, you know, really starting with the initial phases of building OTX. Um, the whole confidence is beautiful and co- um, concept and confidence um, in numbers. Uh, so I, a lot of these themes are themes that I think are inspirational and instructive for our core population um, who are relaunching careers after time away, both in the corporate sector and also as entrepreneurs. So I just appreciate so much that you're drawing out all these themes in such detail and with these um, compelling anecdotes. Um, Shelley, can you talk to us a little bit more about um the, the female quotient part of the business and what happens there. And then I, I want to get uh, talk a little, uh, I'll get back to the girls lounge after this. Yeah, so thank you. First of all, thank you for such a wonderful recap of the conversation that we're having. And, you know, one of the, you know, the themes in my career has been um, very nonlinear. I, I could not have written the textbook of where I would be Um, now and where I'll be tomorrow, I really follow my heart. And I call them heartbeat moments, not aha moments. It's never been a cognitive process in my mind where I rationalized a decision. It's always been something that I felt in my heart. You know, when your heart, ba-boom, 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 goes like that, you got to follow it. Um, And so that's really what happened. I was at um, Ipsos and I celebrated my five-year anniversary, which was the commitment that I made when I sold my company that I would stay for five years. And um, it was just that moment where I said, if I'm truly going to advance equality in the workplace and connect women to one another to support each other, I need to do this full-time and walk away from you know, my career and give back with generosity. And so I left Ipsos. Um, uh, over two years, we just finished two years. Um, the female quotient is two years old, and I started a company called the Female Quotient. And I called it the Female Quotient because I say first came the Intelligence Quotient IQ, then came the Emotional Quotient EQ. Now comes the Female Quotient FQ. When you put women in any equation, the equation gets better. We talk about diversity being good for business, and yet we are going backwards. We keep admiring the problems, but we're certainly not activating solutions for change. So I started a company um, in the business of equality. So that's what I do. I'm in the business of equality, and I have two core pillars. One is women, which is the girls' lounge. People ask me, why do I call it the girls' lounge? Why do I not call it the women's lounge or the ladies lounge. Well, the ladies lounge sounds like a bathroom first of all. So that, (laughs) let's write that one out of the equation. But it really comes from, you know, there's a boys club. Why not have a girls lounge? And women do need a space 
to be themselves and to not be afraid to own who they are. And, you know, we became a pop-up space at big industry conferences. And I always say in the social world, the difference between girls and women is age or life stage. But in the corporate world, women at the top have historically been so competitive with one another because there's such a scarcity of jobs, or we try to conform to the legacy rules that were created by and for men because women weren't in the workplace. Um, and they just don't make sense for us to bring our best self to work. So I called it the girls' lounge because to me, girl is a mindset. It's you're bold, you're brave, you're fearless, you break some rules, you create a little trouble, but more importantly, you're girlfriends and you support one another um, so that the minority can act and feel like the majority. And so that is why, you know, the women piece of my business is the girls' lounge. And then the second part is the workplace. It doesn't matter how much we empower women and we find our voice and we own our confidence and we bring our unique strengths to the table. We need to rewrite the rules in, in the corporate world because those rules just don't make sense anymore. And so, you know, we truly have to create that transformation and transformation must include men. So for all of you men listening, I want you to know how important men and women are in the equality equation. Gender equality is not a female issue. It's a social and economic issue. We're all in this together and we will activate change by working together to get us there. Um, so let me just probe a little bit more on, on this, on the female quotient side. Can you give us an example of an engagement or work that you've done inside a company um, as, as part of the female quotient? Absolutely. So um, the female quotient, we do equality boot camps. We go inside of companies and do a self-assessment of where we are and where we want to go and then how we get there from sharing best case um, examples from other companies that have been successful in closing the wage gap, creating diversity in the workforce, having diversity in our supplier chain, um, creating mentorship, sponsorship, education programs that help us all be our best selves, that work on corporate policies. I mean, for example, maternity leave. What's it called today when two men have a child together? That's not even called mm -hmm. maternity leave. That's how antiquated our rules are. And mm -hmm. paternity leave. Men don't take paternity leave because it, it shows a sign of weakness. And when they do, according to Harvard Business Review, they play more golf. I mean, we're just wired differently. And so how about calling it mandatory parental leave? Or, you know, if we can, you know, Ariana Huffington taught me something that I will never forget at the World Economic Forum. Um, at, at Davos, we have an equality lounge, you know, leadership lounge, talking about rewriting the rules, and we can come back to that. But Ariana said, why do we interview, why do we do exit interviews? The employees already left. Why don't we do entry interviews? And that's when I came up with the idea of why don't we do life stage interviews? Why don't we know who our team is as we go through different life stages and adjust accordingly in the moment so that we can make sure not only that we attract the best talent, but we retain the best talent and everyone thrives. So, you know, you know, and even leadership, creating conscious leadership, 
We talk about unconscious bias. Well, let's make our unconscious conscious. We all have bias. Let's just accept that and figure out how we embrace that and adapt around that and create cultures of belonging so that everyone in our organization feels and knows that they belong. You know, I love this concept of the life stage conversation and that happening among teams that are already working together. It's not the entry point or the exit point, but when right in the thick of it, when people are working together and also your emphasis on how important language is, um, the language that we use to um, describe maternity or paternity or, or, you know, mandatory parental leave. Um, it's, it's very important what words we choose. Um, I want to just jump back briefly because we're, we're actually almost out of time loving this conversation. Um, I, I did take a look at the agenda that you had at I, the Equality Lounge or the Girls Lounge that you had running at Davos on um, the World Economic Forum. I was totally blown away. I, I mean, that agenda was just so of heavy hitters talking about the most important issues, it almost felt like you were doing a mini Davos inside of Davos. Thank you. Uh, listen, we, um, we really appreciate the World Economic Forum and bringing you know, world leaders together to talk about some of the most pressing challenges that we have um, across the globe today. And in the Equality Lounge, we bring those leaders together to roll up our sleeves and to talk about solutions for change. Change will only happen if we break the problems into bite-sized steps and take one step after another. You know, we're not gonna solve the problems overnight, but we certainly can make progress one step at a time. And most importantly, together. Just like I talked about impact, a company alone, a country alone can have power, but collectively, we can have impact. That's when change happens, when we share and we work together and we create that next step change. Wow, well, that's a great place to wrap up. I have a couple of really quick um, questions for you. Um, if there's a girls' lounge running at a particular conference, like, can any woman who's there get into it? Do you have to have certain qualifications? Can relaunchers, you know, those of us who are on career break at some of these conferences come? How do you actually get into the girls' lounge? Uh, our girls' lounges are pop-ups at industry conferences. So if you are at the conference, everyone is invited. Um, it is an inclusive space. And of course, men are welcome as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we do a lot of custom lounges um, within corporations, but you can follow us at, at WeRTFQ, at Shelly Zalis. You can go to our website, uh, The Female Quotient, and you can see where we're going. And, of course, you are welcome in any city, any country, um, any conference that we're at. Please join us. Wonderful. Thank you, Shelly Zalis, for a wonderful conversation and for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having this conversation. It's so important. You have been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast discussing strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of I Relaunch, and your host today. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for listening.